the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNOW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, I love to hear about it. Just shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. That's where you can find out too about my team, certified financial planners, fee-based financial planning, fee-only financial planning, money management, state planning, taxes. We do it all. Let's check it out, chadburton.com. Of course, uh, yesterday, Apple had the big debut, right? You know, Apple 13, different price points, faster chip, 5G, emergency access by satellite. If you don't have signal, different uh, design on... On the watches, a little bit of pullback. Um, it's it's kind of typical, right? You get a big run up in the stock, and then they do these announcements. You typically have kind of a lull period afterwards. But even more important, y- y'all need to do the, the the software update that was talked about the day before this came out, um, because Apple on Monday released security updates for its iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Mac computers. Closed vulnerability reported and exploited by. Uh, invasive spyware that was built by NSO Group. That's an Israeli security company. And according to Citizens Lab, the zero-day, zero-click exploit against iMessage, which was nicknamed Forced Entry, it targets Apple's image rendering library. Uh, you know, long story short, iPhones, laptops, Apple Watches, all of it. Uh, back in July, researchers found evidence of attempted or successful installations of Pegasus. That's what was being installed here on 37 phones of activists, journalists, business people. Um, 37, luckily, not a lot, but um, all but three of them were iPhones. So we all think we had our iPhones were more secure. And this this was a vulnerability that got plugged. Um, now, this, this, the spyware was capable of accessing uh, and recording text, videos, photos, and web activity, as well as passively recording and scraping passwords on a device. So it kind of did everything. Um, and I think we've all heard about Pegasus before. I feel like it was in a movie before it was a real-life thing. So welcome to the future. And tried to get a chance to talk about this on yesterday's show that I was full of technical difficulties. But Apple, you know, they need to increase their dividend, right? Less than 0.6%. Um, payout ratio is only 16.52%. The payout ratio is the percentage of a total dividend paid by the company divided by its net income. And it's important for people that like to invest in stocks as passive income, dividend achievers, for example. So when you find a company that has good revenue growth, good product, good services, you like the company... Um, it has a dividend, has a, raise, a history of raising their dividend. When you look at the payout ratio, it kind of gives you an idea of, do they have room to grow? 
can they continue to raise the dividend in the future? And when you start to get a company that's paying out more than 50, 60% of their, their uh, net income in terms of the payout ratio, that's when you start to get concerned. And you see that often on companies that start to have flatline revenue or they start to borrow money to invest other companies to support their dividends. Think of some of the telecom stocks that are out there where you could kind of look at them and say, yeah, the dividend's about five, five and a half percent, but they're borrowing money to support the dividend. So it's very important ratio, that payout ratio. Um, now, so the other thing to think about is that there is some room to grow on the dividend, but look, the PE ratio is, is at 30. It's the highest since 2008. Now, granted, interest rates are extremely low, which warrants a higher PE ratio. But you've got to be careful in terms of getting way overweighted on a, on a stock and continue to look at the revenue growth. You get the law of large numbers when you get a company as large as Apple. So I, I like the stock. I own the stock. My clients own the stock. But it's been for us a source of trimming. When people get too overweighted in equities, Apple's been one of the biggest positions. And if we got to decrease equity exposure or if we got to do some gifting, what a good source. If you have uh, shares of Apple at a really low cost basis in your taxable account, and you're funding nonprofits, you're funding your church, you can transfer shares directly to those charities and avoid paying capital gains on those shares and still get a charitable deduction if you're itemizing. So, so keep that in mind. Now, how much single stock exposure is okay? Right? I mean, when you're younger, you, let's say you go to work for a company and you get a bunch of options. And then all of a sudden, they, you're qualified to participate in the employee stock purchase program, which you tend to get a discount on the stock. And you're like, okay, I'm maxing the 401k enough to get a match. I'm taking the discount on the stock because that's potentially additional free money if the stock is flattering, goes up in the long run. And all of a sudden, you're you know, 30, 35 years old and 90 to 100% of your... Well, maybe not that much because you got 401k money is, is in the company stock. And it's hard to escape that if it's a good company. Now, when you get to that point, if you're being awarded RSUs and you're already overweight in that company stock, when those RSUs vest, they are 100% taxable. They will sell shares enough to do some withholding on taxes... But there's no tax reason whatsoever to continue to hold RSUs, which is what most companies give these days. So that's your job to go online, sell the rest of them, and then invest in a more diversified portfolio. So you don't end up with people that I work with all the time that are in their 60s, 70 to 80% of their retirement plan is in one stock. And then you've got an Enron, a WorldCom, another issue. Let's see, even the Boeing has had a rough time, for example. So I see those all the time. You cannot take that much risk by being so drastically overweight in one stock. Now, there's a level of, hey, it's, I've seen it create wealth over and over again in my client base. But eventually, you've got to trim. All right. So how much do you have? Well, it depends on how old you are and how close you are to retirement. Again, even in your 40s and 50s, it's often easy to be at 20, 30% of the company that you work for in their stock because of options and RSUs and things like that. You need a plan. So RSUs are easy when you're overweight, like I just mentioned. You have non-qualified stock options. You have incentive stock options, which have an exercise and hold strategy where you can qualify for capital gains. But I wouldn't do that now because capital gains could change next year. And I only like to exercise and hold incentive stock options earlier in the year. So there's a lot of planning that goes along here. But, but when you go into retirement, and when you have over 
of your investable assets in one stock, you need to have a plan to diversify. You need to have a plan to live off of those, have a plan for cash if those shares drop. You can look at different strategies of share reduction through writing covered calls for additional income while you plan to exit. I really like for those that have a very large estate where I will couple a charitable remainder trust, gift the shares, get a big tax deduction, sell those and diversify and create 5% or more income immediately without any capital gains taxes except some of the income that you take. So you get a big diversification event. You get a big tax deduction that you can use to do an IRA to Roth conversion where you know that's, that's a great with the estate plan. So there's options to consider as you look at that. But one of the things that you can do when you have a good financial plan and you have a place that you can go to look at your long-term cash flow projections, your tax issues, your Monte Carlo simulations, which gives you a success rate, you can run a scenario. Have your financial advisor run a scenario where let's assume this, you know, 40% of my investable assets are in Apple, they're in Microsoft, they're in Tesla. What if that's cut in half? What if it's cut by 70%? Then what does my plan look like? That'll give you as an investor, as somebody that's about to retire and live off of these assets for the rest of your life, the idea of how much risk you're willing to take. How much risk you're willing to take. So keep that in mind as you try to put together a financial plan. There's a fine line between building a ton of wealth by, by being you know, all in on a really, really good company. But once it gets to a point where it's so large and it's so much of everything, sometimes selling a little bit to pay off your house is to go into retirement. Um, you know, selling a little bit to buy something else that's more diversified. Look, if you're over 400 grand, capital gains taxes are going up. We just got proposals out again pushing to that point. So this is a good year to become diversified. If you need help with that, you can find me at chadburton.com. I, I was talking a little bit about diversification and, and trimming and you know paying a little bit of capital gains. But I will I, I just want to tell you because I have these conversations over and over again with with clients that almost everybody right now thinks that their capital gains taxes are going up. And I want you to stop thinking that. If you are making less than $400,000 a year, stop thinking your capital gains taxes are going to go up because they're, they're just not under proposals that I've seen. Now, stuff that came out today, I haven't dug in deeply, but that's from what I've heard and, and you know, shallow dive into it. Um, basically, House Democrats have proposed that raising the corporate rate to 26.5% and the top capital gains rate to 25% and the top individual tax rate to 39.6% as part of tax increases that are needed to pay for the $3.5 trillion in spending. So all of these numbers are over the 400k limit. So if you're retired, even if you have a $5, $6 million portfolio, but you look at your 1040, if your adjusted gross income or your taxable income is under $400,000, your capital gains rates are likely not going up and you're going to be okay. So keep that in mind. There are in the package that, you know, some of the stuff that's coming out, you know, that if we're, we're looking at the top capital gains rate for those income earners over 400K, it'll end up at 25 to 28.8%. Um, the current top rate is 20% plus a 3.8% Medicare surtax that can come into play at certain income levels. But even with the, some of these increases at the higher brackets and the capital gains taxes, the proposals are going to cover about 82% from what I've read in uh, 
couple of different articles of $3.5 trillion infrastructure plan. And we need the plan. We definitely need the plan, but we also need fiscal responsibility from our politicians. What's interesting is the focus on some cryptocurrency issues here. Obviously, cryptocurrency in the news a lot. You got El Salvador with uh, Bitcoin. Um, and then a pullback once it's like, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news kind of a thing. Um, but I, I mentioned before, I feel like earlier on, I was reporting some of the issues that traders were having with not being able to deduct their losses on their gains if they're actively trading crypto because of wash sale. Well, well cryptocurrency currently doesn't have the wash sale rules. So you can buy and sell all day long and, and write off your losses, even if you buy it back because it's a, a, a uh, it's just a different than stocks right now. But this mandates a new wash sale rule for people who own cryptocurrencies. It also, there's what I think is ridiculous, stupid limits on large individual retirement accounts. So that's interesting. But either way, you got to do some tax planning. If your portfolio has become out of weight on equities, I get it. It's tough. It's one of the toughest parts that I have to do is because Typically, when you rebalance a portfolio, you sell some stocks and you reinvest in bonds and you know replenish your cash and things like that. And, and fixed income is tough right now. It's not yielding a lot. The Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is negative for the year and can continue to be negative if rates go up. So accumulating some cash, paying off some debt, making sure you have some exposure to not just large cap growth, you need some of the other you know, asset classes, small cap value, mid cap, international. It's a little bit of emerging markets right now since they're having tough times, but even commodities. So it's time to do some tax planning. We're in the final countdown of the year here, right? We're almost to the fourth quarter. And that's when you do a lot of tax planning before the end of the year. Not after you see your CPA in January, February, March, but now. Because it could be a good idea to take some capital gains and pay them now based on your brackets. If you're if you look out in your cash flow projections and you see a point in time in the next few years where your taxable income will be over 400 grand, then you know it might be an issue. Like, let me give you an example. Let's say you sold an asset or a business this year and you're being paid over a three to five year period and your income is always going to be over 400 grand a year. There's a potential that you could take an election to pay all the capital gains now, to pay it all now at the current rates. And then just wait to give your get your cash. Now, what's that do? You're you're paying you know some taxes early, but it could be at a much lower rate for you, especially if you're a very high income earner. Now, the other thing that you need to know is that what, what's crazy about this economy is like you know there's it's it's tough for a lot of people, but most business owners that I know, unless you're a travel leisure, you know, basically the hotel restaurants kind of business. You're having the best year ever. And then there's been a lot of growth in the stock market and real estate. So a lot of people have had higher taxable income from options and selling real estate or whatever it may be. Now is the time of year that you got to plan for, have you paid enough into the system? Have you paid enough into the system? Right? You're supposed to be... The US tax system is a pay-as-you-go kind of a deal. So you got to have withholding on your paycheck and or quarterly estimated pay- payments. And the rule is, is that you have to pay in at least 90% of the tax for the current year or 100% of the tax shown on the return for the prior year, whichever smaller, whichever smaller. 
Now, if your adjusted gross income is over 150, which most people in the Bay Area will probably listen to the show, it is combined income between two people. That's a, uh, the rule is, is that you have to pay in by January 15th, at least 90% of the tax for the current year or 110% of the tax shown on the return for the prior year, whichever is smaller. So a couple of special rules for farmers, fishermen, and things like that. But you can get penalized if you don't do the proper withholding and or estimated tax payments. So if you're trying to reduce that, now is a good time to think. Make sure you're getting your most you can into the 401k, especially if you turn 50 this year. Even if you're to turn 50 December 31st, you can get more into your 401k. That's when the catch-up kicks in. Let's say you're over 72 and you've not yet taken your required minimum distribution. If you don't need it, you could actually do a qualified charitable rollover and give that right to your favorite nonprofit organization and avoid being taxed on it. And again, like I've talked about, you can gift shares of highly appreciated stock that's in your taxable brokerage account to a nonprofit, a charity, or church. Like, I run into this all the time people tithing on a monthly basis to their church. Like, why don't you just once a year, Figure out what that number is and gift them shares of your Apple or Microsoft or CentOS or whatever stocks just crushed it. And and just be done. Because that way you can get rid of the shares, get rid of the capital gains tax and still benefit the charity. When the church or nonprofit gets it, they can sell it. They're nonprofits, so they don't pay any taxes. And um, if you don't itemize your deductions, you could do several years at once in a donor advised fund to get you to the point where you do itemize and get a better tax deduction. So I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there. You need a good CPA and tax advisor to, to work through this. So a good certified financial planner that's in your corner. Certified financial planners deal with taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. It's interesting because we charge based on how much we manage for you in terms of investments. It's really 20 to 30% of what we do. We do all this other stuff. And at EP Wealth, we have a tax team. We have an estate planning team. We, we do it all. You can find out about what we do, just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. You can even send me email questions for the show. I typically let you know when I'm going to answer it. You know, check it out, chadburton.com. Some good downloads there. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. As I mentioned before, you can send me your email questions. Just go to chadburton.com. You can submit questions there. And this one is from Alyssa. She says, Hi, Chad. I wonder if you might share your perspective on trusts during your podcast. My husband and I established a trust one year ago. Our home is in the trust. I'm wondering if we really need one. Including our home valued over 1 million in the Bay Area, we have several other assets, but I wonder if there's a certain net worth that you would advise to establish a trust. We keep it updated and also have our medical directives established. Would you recommend a trust, Alyssa? Um, okay, so California, this is, this is kind of an easy answer in the state of California. If you own real estate in the state of California, it typically pays well for, for your heirs for you to get a living trust. Living trust help. A lot of people think the number one thing for living trust for some reason is taxes, and that's not what it is. Living trust helps you avoid probate fees. Okay. And there's certain states, like the state of Washington, for example, where probate fees are not that big of a deal. But the probate courts in California are extremely backed up. 
and it's extremely expensive. And let's say you and guess what? When when you talk when I'm talking about these numbers, mortgages aren't even included, right? All right. So you could have a, a five hundred thousand dollar home with a four hundred ninety nine thousand dollar mortgage. It doesn't matter. Probate costs are going to be based on the value of the home. So let's say you die with only a will, no estate plan at all. And so let's say your your estate is worth more than 166250 in non-real property. These numbers might need to be updated or 55425 in real property. That means your estate will need to go to the probate court in order for your heirs to receive their inheritance. They charge filing and other fees. And then there's these statutory fees that can stack up pretty quick. So if the estate, let's say it's a half a million, which is your home, your investments, retirement, life insurance, bank accounts... And everything's there's no beneficiary on your retirement accounts or life insurance, and it all goes to your state. That half a million dollar estate could end up having probate fees of up to twenty six thousand dollars that gets paid to the attorney and the personal representative and the, and the people filing. And it's not always that much, but look, I mean, for a married couple doing a basic trust, healthcare directive, power of attorney. I mean, you're typically talking, you know, somewhere between two thousand and forty five hundred bucks for most attorneys. Um, if you have a home and, and a rental property, and you're trying to make sure that the deed gets transferred to the living trust properly, that's when you get into the higher levels. But you also have that cost of of what happens when you pass away with the trust, and and the trust avoiding probate. It's much cheaper and it avoids, it can get to your heirs a lot quicker. Now, there's a couple of issues here. A couple of issues to think about in California. First of all, there's several ways to avoid probate on retirement accounts. Number one is you name your beneficiaries. That's typically your spouse and then your kids. Name them directly. Okay. That can avoid probate on your life insurance policies. If you name an individual directly, that avoids probate. If you have a taxable account, like let's say you have a joint account with your spouse that avoids probate when you pass away. If you're a single person, you could do a transfer on death or payable on death to your brokerage accounts or bank accounts. That's another way to avoid probate. And this is interesting. You can actually have a transfer on trust or on death deed to your home in the state of California. So in 2016... Uh, it looked like Jerry Brown signed Bill 139, establishing a new procedure to transfer real property upon death, revocable transfer on death. But look, I don't think any of that's worth it. I think there's ways to avoid it. But if you own real estate in a few accounts, I think you should probably have a living trust. Because number one, it avoids probate. And number two, it'll help get the assets to your heirs after you pass in the right way. Somebody's actually reading it. and it creates a better process for settling a state because when somebody passes away, you have to get a tax ID number. You have to final, uh, do a final return for the individual. And if the estate's high enough, you got to do a federal estate tax return. And if you name beneficiaries and transfer on death and payable on death on real estate and all these other accounts and there's fees that are due, it becomes a real headache for attorneys and CPAs and things like that to get paid. Because all of a sudden, the beneficiaries are on how to pay it. And what if all the money goes to a bunch of other people and you're the one doing the estate settlement or your kid is and they're stuck with the bill? So yeah, there's ways to avoid it without a trust, avoiding probate. But you should probably just do it, especially when it comes to 
interesting situations like property tax issues and, and a caretaker staying in the home. Um, one of the reasons why I don't, why I like a living trust account is because you can, if you have separate money, like you inherit money or you have money prior to marriage, you can say this is community property, this is separate property. You can make sure that if you have community property in the state of California, you get a full step up in basis at the first death because that's under current law and that could go away. That's significant tax savings. So let's see, yeah, in the state of California and typically in the state of Oregon, for example, probate costs, you know, highly outweigh what happens if you do a living trust. So it's better to do a living trust. Now in the state of Washington, it's different. State of Washington, you can get away with the will and naming your beneficiaries properly and things like that. And in your will, you can still create trusts after you die. Trusts that hold money for kids until they're a certain age. Trusts that hold money for special needs people if it's a certain way. But the probate issues are not as painful in the state of Washington if you're listening there. So you got to kind of look at your state, right? But I would say in most states, in most of my clients, they have a living trust. The other thing that you can spell out in a living trust is what happens while you're alive? What happens to the way that you want to be cared for if you need help in your old age? Do you want to stay in your home? Right? I've told this story before, but I'll... You know, I'll tell it again because I think it's been a while. Who knows? In, in the world of radio, you basically feel like you're repeating yourself all the time anyway. So, so maybe I'll repeat myself here. But early in my career, and as, as I've mentioned before, I started in the business at 19 with my grandfather. He sold annuities and mutual funds at the banks for years and then went out on his own right when I was going to college. And so I joined him and fell in love with the business and got licensed and everything else. And one of our wealthier clients... Um, Ended up with dementia, and he was he he failed pretty quickly. He went from you know pretty pretty outgoing, fun guy to um, started to become secluded, and he realized you know, was forgetting stuff, and it was dangerous for him to be alone. But he was worth a lot of money. This was twenty six years ago. He was worth well over five million dollars. Could have very easily afforded to have help come to him. And so his son Sam was handling everything. And basically, Sam ended up putting dad in a home. And dad was actually sharing a room with another individual. And it was not a good situation. And so we were kind of hands-off for a while. Sam was asking for money and you know, using the, the power of attorney to kind of handle all the affairs for dad. But when we finally went to visit him, to Sam and his dad, I'm not going to name the client, obviously... I'm looking around. I'm like, why is your dad in this place? This is horrible. And you wouldn't answer the question. And I can tell you what it was for. It's because Sam was trying to protect his inheritance. Sam was thinking that, hey, dad's out of it. He doesn't remember anything. He could hide his own Easter eggs at this point. So I'm just going to save as much money as I can so that I inherit as much as possible. Money changes people. I'm telling you, I've seen it over and over and over again. So if it's really important for you as you age to be cared for in a certain way, I do not want to go into a nursing home. I do not want to go into assisted living. I want to have somebody here at my home until I'm out of money. And if that's the point, then you can reverse mortgage my house and still keep me here. And I don't care what my kids get. Then spell that out in your trust. Because 
your trustee, when you become incapacitated, must read that trust document and follow it to a T. And if you don't have anybody that you trust to do that, you don't have anybody to trust to be a trustee and get it. Well, there are professional fiduciaries that will read the trust document. And for a hourly or annual fee type of a situation, they'll do what your trust says. And we're seeing more and more of that that we need to help find professional fiduciaries and trustees for people because they have assets, but they have, you know, you know, good kids, but it's kind of a messy situation. They don't want to leave just one and it's really pain in the butt if you name multiple kids as the trustee. So they need somebody kind of outside the family to just to facilitate what they want to have happen. And I hate it when people go to a bank to do this, like they use a trustee services or one of the large banks, because then they get mediocre investments and mediocre service. And it's better to have a you know a money manager at one firm and a trust or a fiduciary at another firm, just for overall checks and balances. So this is another reason why I like living trust is that it's not just about avoiding probate or avoiding taxes. It's also about getting done exactly what you want to get done in your overall estate plan. And it's revocable. You can get rid of it anytime you want. And you can update it anytime you want. Family dynamics change. You might have grandkids, you might have a kid that you don't want to have money, you might end up with a, a grandchild that's, that ends up special needs later in life, and you can alter it. You should be meeting with your attorney every couple of years at least and or when there is any kind of a significant change in law. Like A big one that's coming up is estate taxes and potential reduction and step up in basis and a lot, a lot of things coming down the line in terms of estate planning. So yeah, I, I think you did the right thing by getting the living trust. Um, and then you have to make sure your assets are titled properly. Um, we used to never say put retirement plans, uh, the living trust is the beneficiary of retirement plans, but it's not even a bad idea anymore because of the Secure Act and the removal of the stretch IRA. So that gets into a whole nother show that we could talk about. But this is why you have, need to have a good certified financial planner that knows how to work with your CPA, your attorneys, and everybody else. To finish up our talk on state planning, living trusts, and things like that, like I said before, there is ways to avoid probate by naming things correctly. But but the one thing I wanted to point out too that I see often is, is what about things that you forget about? Right? Big items in your home, a safety deposit box, a car, a and a bank account that you might have forgot of that you opened up for five grand 30 years ago and then you pass away. So those types of things can be handled properly with a living trust. Because let me talk about a basic package when you do a living trust document. A living trust includes a trust document, which spells out exactly what you want to have happen with your money, how you're cared for, who's who's going to be in charge of everything when you pass away. You can also talk about how do you want to leave your kids and grandkids money? Do you want to have them all at once? Do you want to make sure that it's doled out over time at a certain age? Um, you know, I've got a ton in my... I've talked about my estate plan before that has all sorts of language in the trust for my kids that will, will kind of reimburse them if they fund a retirement account. It'll, they can submit a business plan. They can travel a little bit. Um, all sorts of things that I've talked about in my plan. But... That's just the, the trust document. On top of that, you have a will. You still have a will when you have a living trust. It's just called a pour of a will. It basically says, hey, if I forgot to title anything properly, like the stuff in my safety deposit box, like account I forgot to uh, mention, then pour that over into my living trust. That's what the will says. So a proper trust package has a trust, 
a will, a healthcare directive, which talks about what you want to have happen in terms of life support and those types of things. But also, you got to realize a lot of times hospitals have their own deal. So keep that in mind. And then you have a power of attorney. All right. Now, power of attorney is still very, very important because if you're incapacitated, your trustee will be assigned. If, if a doctor says that you're no longer, you don't have capacity in your living trust, you've named a successor trustee who takes over your affairs if you're incapacitated. But that only will help that person manage non-retirement account assets or, or it'll only help them manage assets that's been titled properly to your living trust in many cases. So on top of that, you need a power of attorney, which assigns the ability like your spouse or somebody else, if you don't have a spouse or uh, a secondary, if you and your spouse are incapacitated at the same time, that power of attorney can deal with everything. They can deal with retirement accounts and things like that. So if you need a withdrawal, you need somebody to process your required minimum distribution if you're over 72, the power of attorney comes into play. So a proper trust package which can be anywhere from, let's say it's 1750 with the attorneys that we work with in many cases or more. Um, that's, that's a real low end because you always have to pay a little bit more to have the deed to your house transferred to the trust to 2500 to 3500 to 4500 somewhere around in that range, right? It's kind of a range. depends on your situation. But for that package, you're typically going to get somebody that will create the living trust, the pour over will, a healthcare directive, the power of attorney, and then make sure that your real estate is owned correctly. So if you own a home or rental property directly, that'll then be titled to the living trust. There's no tax issues to do that. If you own a rental property that is actually owned by an LLC for liability purposes, the shares of the LLC are then registered to your living trust. Again, a non-taxable issue. So that is... um, you know, kind of everything that you need to get to it. And it's a good time when you do a, a full-fledged retirement plan where you get to the point where, hey, I'm wondering when I can retire, or do I have enough to retire? Those long-term cash flow projections will also show you how much you're projected to be worth in when you're 90, 95 years old. And then we have a cool little system where we can click a button and show that number in present value versus future value. So you can kind of really relate it to today's value. And that way you can really focus on, okay, I've got my estate plan or my retirement plan done. I know how much I'm likely going to be left. That's going to be left over for my heirs between what's left in my accounts that I live off of and my real estate. What kind of estate plan do I want to do? How do I want to have this conversation with my attorney? So it really flows really, really well to get the retirement plan done and then get the estate plan done because you've got all the projections. Attorneys, a lot of attorneys don't do projections. They kind of deal with today's amount and then assume you're going to be a lot worth a lot more in the future. But that depends on how much you're paying, uh, expending, and it depends on how your money's growing, right? So keep that in mind. All right, uh, real quick, I, I wanted to get to one email real quick. Um, Hi, Chad and team. I listen to your podcast, really enjoy it. I'm wondering if you have any recommendations on a good place to buy gold. Um, I'll tell you that personally, I've never bought individual gold coins or anything like that. Although I wish I would have you know, invested in gold watches and really, really nice ones because I've seen people make a lot of money off that. But what, what I've seen, even when people have a lot of money in gold coins and bars, because I've had clients that that is the case, 
Um, there's always like that kind of commission involved in buying and selling the physical gold. I just had some clients tell me about they finally decided to uh, uh, cash in on some gold coins that they got years ago. And when they went to sell them, they got the spot price of gold minus a small commission. And then they dinged them because they said there were some tiny, tiny dents on these coins. Well, they were kind of in plastic covers and stuff like that. So they're like, they argued a bit, but they really just kind of had to accept what they, what they took. So typically when I've dealt in gold, it's been in, there's things like GLD, which is an ETF that has it. There's different uh, commodities based funds, which I like better because there's other commodities I like better than gold. And I let the commodity traders deal with it. There's also managed futures that will deal in gold and other commodities and things like that. So well, I like the exposure to commodities, I've never bought and sold it directly. And I've never really heard of a great, awesome experience. So if any of you listeners out there, and I don't want to hear from you if you're a gold dealer, but if there's any listeners out there that say, Hey, I buy physical gold and sell physical gold. Here's a great outfit. Um, and how long you've been working with them. It'd be kind of nice and interesting to to talk about that experience. So feel free to shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. If you need help with your financial plan, your retirement plan, your investing, your estate plan, you can find it all there, chadburton.com. Have a great day. Please tell a friend about the show. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.